Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, a world-renowned strategist and a good friend to the Chinese people, passed away at the age of 100. Chinese President Xi Jinping sent a message of condolence to U.S. President Joe Biden, saying Dr. Kissinger made historic contributions to the normalization of China-U.S. relations, and his efforts not only benefited the two countries, but also changed the world. Dr. Kissinger's dedication to this cause was evident in his more than 100 visits to China over half a century, with the last taking place only last July, shortly after his centennial birthday. During this visit, he reaffirmed his commitment to enhancing mutual understanding between the peoples of America and China. So what made Dr. Kissinger the person he was? Can we have more Kissingers in the future? I'm pleased to be joined from Maryland, the U.S., by Surabh Gupta, Senior Asia-Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist at the Institute for China-America Studies, and from Washington, D.C., Victor Gao, Chair Professor at Suzhou University. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. Uh, first, here is what President Xi said in that message of condolences. He said, on behalf of the Chinese government and people, and in his own name, he extended profound condolences and expressed sincere sympathies to Kissinger's family. In the message, Xi said Kissinger was a world-renowned strategist and an old friend and good friend of the Chinese people. Kissinger had made it his lifelong pursuit to promote the development of China-U.S. relations and enhance the friendship between the two peoples, and his name will always be a associated with China-U.S. relations, she said. He also added that China is ready to work with the U.S. to carry forward the cause of friendship between the two peoples and promote the sound and steady development of bilateral ties. Victor Gao, let me go to you first. How do you look at the importance that the Chinese president is attaching to this towering figure? Thank you very much for having me. I think President Xi Jinping's letter of condolence expressed to President Biden of the United States uh, is a firm uh, indication of Chinese governments and Chinese people's appreciation for all the good things that Dr. Henry Kissinger had done to promote peace and cooperation between China and the United States. Ever since 1971, for decades, Dr. Henry Kissinger has brought a high level of pragmatism, realism, and uh, audacity and courage and vision and wisdom to nurture the China-U.S. relations, uh, either during honeymoon uh, period or years, or when relations get really stressed out. Now, I think Dr. Henry Kissinger's consistency in promoting peace and in advocating that peace should be in the mutual benefit of both China and the United States should be the everlasting a legacy mm -hmm. that he has left not only for China and the United States but for the whole world and I think when we express our condolences for Dr. Henry Kissinger's passing away we should also celebrate his great achievements as a statesman as a top diplomat as a great historian and as a realist in seeing through the true nature mm -hmm. of China-US relations because he believed that peace and cooperation, mutual understanding between these two great countries and the two great nations of the Chinese people and the American people are not only for the good of China and the United right. States, but for mankind well, as a whole. Well, that's 
That's exactly why we're doing this episode, and I choose this particular angle, what made him the, the man he was. And I want to just go through very quickly for those who probably didn't know so well his life story. Um, Dr. Kissinger was born Heinz Alfred Kissinger in May 27, 1923, now in Germany. And uh, after fleeing Nazi regime in 1938, Kissinger and his family found refuge in the U.S., where he later became a naturalized citizen in 1943. During World War II, Kissinger served in the U.S. Army and later in the counterintelligence corps in post-war Germany. His academic journey led him to Harvard University, where he earned his bachelor's, master's and doctor's degree Subsequently, he became a professor of government and international affairs at the university where he taught for almost 20 years. Um, in 1969, he was appointed national security advisor by President Richard Nixon and uh, his influence was considered pivotal in shaping U.S. foreign policy during that era. And his pragmatic or realist approach earned him a reputation as a skilled strategist. From 1973 to 1977, Kissinger served as U.S. Secretary of State under first President Nixon and later President Ford. His uh, tenure was marked by diplomatic achievements, including the detente with the Soviet Union. Now, uh, following his government service, Dr. Kissinger continued to uh, wield significant influence on international relations. He authored 21 books, delivered impactful speeches, and provided counsel to uh, some say as many as 12 U.S. presidents. And he was active in China for more than half a century, visiting the country for over a hundred times. Um, Mr. Gupta, let me go to you. Exactly. What shaped this man? I would say two aspects shaped Mr. Kissinger. One was he was born at a, at a, at a very difficult time in interwar Europe when Europe was going through great difficulty. And he understood the dangers of major power competition uh, breaking out into outright war and the suffering and tragedy that it uh, constituted for the people of Europe and for the people of the world. That premonition of tragedy remained in him throughout his life and international relations was never just a profession. It was a calling to seek better relations among the major powers in the world. This has great importance, particularly in the sense to this extent uh, that the United States has never had that sort of premonition of tragedy as a young country, which the other great ancient civilizations and countries and continents China, Europe have gone through. And that leavened his thought of how he approached international relations and international relations was never a zero sum game for him. It was about creating stabilizing frameworks within which countries major powers could compete, but that major powers had responsibilities beyond just themselves and their interests. That was one. The other element which I thought was very important and which 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 were one one of his formative experiences again growing up in Europe schooled in the art of the most successful example of European peacemaking which was the peacemaking after the Napoleonic Wars and from that it is it was this is laced right through his doctoral dissertation which was the basis of how he did foreign policy throughout his life and that one great goal of his was list which was in that dissertation was that major powers have to get together they need to transform force into agreement amongst themselves by identifying a legitimate principle of order 
on the basis of which they can create a loose consensus of the sense of justice in the international system. It cannot be, I win, you lose a zero-sum framework. It needs to be a framework which can be shared by both countries. It cannot be democracy versus autocracy. It needs to be a framework which can accommodate competing sides and help establish a framework that 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 that, that is stabilizing mm. on the basis of which then okay. international relations can yeah. proceed. Mr. Gao, what is your take on the experiences or maybe the era in which he was born and in which he grew up? What were some of the most important factors that set Dr. Kissinger apart from his peers? I met with Dr. Henry Kissinger back in 1985 and in 1987. He wrote me a letter of recommendation when I applied to Yale University for a doctorate degree. And I met him in his office in Manhattan. And I also attended seminar that Dr. Henry Kissinger chaired when he was the chairman of CSIS. From my perspective, what's really very impressive about Dr. Henry Kissinger is his historical depth. When faced with any contemporary issue, Dr. Henry Kissinger could always bring a very long historical framework, looking into the past, focusing at the present and projecting into the future. Therefore, he brings multiple dimensions to any issue, whereas many American politicians seem to deal with any issue as if it is the totality of the issue, regardless of the historical framework or the multiple dimensions that any particular issue it may involve. Now, the other thing is that based on his historical depth, when applied to any particular issue, Dr. Henry Kissinger has also the capability to bring wisdom, farsight, vision, courage, audacity to any particular difficult challenge. And that's exactly what he did when he advised uh, President uh, Richard Nixon in opening up the door between China and the United States and completely reshaped the world at that time. And the consequences of opening up China-US relations is lasting till today and will be long-lasting into the future. This well, some exactly people argue, Mr. Gao, Mr. Gao, some people argue that uh, Kissinger's role was limited compared to that the decision of Mr. Nixon in, uh, in reaching out to China. How would you say that? What precisely was his role in the detente with China? I think both President Nixon and Dr. Harry Kissinger were very important in uh, eventually opening the door between China and the United States. But they came back from very different perspectives. Well, I worked with President Nixon when he visited China as a private citizen in 1987. Sorry, in 1985. And I think these two gentlemen were very, very different. Dr. Harry Kissinger was a scholar to start with very much of a historian, very much ingrained into geopolitics, whereas uh, President Nixon is a very shrewd, sophisticated politician to start with. Unlike many other politicians in his age, Mr. Nixon could also have a very broad historical perspective, but they complement each other rather than uh, uh, conflict with mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. And when 
President Nixon decided to reach out to China, it took all the wisdom and resourcefulness of Dr. Henry Kissinger to bring all the historical perspectives, yeah. different let's, dimensions onto the table to come up with a real action plan. Let's take a done. look. Let's take a look at uh, Mr. Kissinger's take on U.S. on the future of China uh, in May 2023 when he gave an interview, extended interview with uh, The Economist and Mr. Gupta. Um, Mr. Kissinger was quoted as saying the fate of humanity depends on whether America and China can get along. He was famously saying they say China wants world domination. The answer is that they in China want to be powerful. That was his quote. And uh, uh, what is your take on the way he looks at this very important relationship and what sets him apart from many of his um, latecomers or peers and even the, 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 the strategists, the international um, relations advisors that we are seeing on the horizon. Are we going to see more Kissinger in the future? Is there another Kissinger on the horizon? <laughs> That's a great question. I wish there was, but I don't think I see one on the horizon anywhere. But the greatness of Kissinger, and as, as Victor also pointed out, was the historical depth that he got to the subject matter. And the historical depth is what informed his ideas about China, that this was a great power which has been great, but had also fallen, which had suffered tragedies. And this was a power not out there to become great, just to dominate was just to be powerful so that it would not have to suffer from those tragedies that went before. China doesn't seek to take over the world. China seeks to rise to, the, to its natural position so that it can secure itself and be and radiate peace and prosperity in, 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 in the Asia Pacific, in, the, in, in Asia and the world. And Mr. Kissinger grasped that. And he grasped that because he came from a different tradition of international relations, foreign policy making and understanding, which is just not there in this day and age in, 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 in the United States, frankly. But having said that, I will say this, the Biden administration and President Xi Jinping have been making important strides that Mr. Kissinger himself would have been proud to make. Gradually, they're trying to create new guiding principles for the relationship. In the course of framing those new guiding principles for the U.S.-China relationship in this new era, they're also trying to attain some deliverables and create more right. supple, more firmer political ground maybe on Mr. which maybe someday yeah, we can maybe. have another communique, hopefully. Maybe Dr. Kissinger will be happy to see these development. Finally, Dr. Gao, very briefly, uh, he is not a man without controversies. There are people who regard him as a dominating and polarizing force. Do you think some of his decisions were avoidable? Or the consequences, all, consequences of to, some of his uh, some of his policies, and keep it real short. I give you one minute, please. Yeah, at the time when we all expressed condolences for Dr. Harry Kissinger's passing away, let's focus on his positive contribution, especially in opening up the relations between China and the United States. No one is an angel. Dr. Harry Kissinger is a very practical man, dealing with enormous responsibilities when he was in government positions. So let's focus on the positive thing and let's hope that the best tribute we can pay, play to Dr. Uh, Harry Kissinger is for all of us to embrace peace between China and the United States. Yeah.
Well, I take away from him his sentence. I believe now, as I believe 50 years ago, that we can find our way through these difficulties. That impresses me the most. Many thanks to Dr. Victor Gao and Mr. Surab Gupta joining us from uh, North America. We'll take a short break and when we come back, fragile truce between Israel and Palestine comes to an end with possibility of extension. And what role has China played during its November presidency at the UN Security Council? Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Ticking. A seven-day pause in fighting between Israel and Palestine is due to expire in the coming hours. Reports say 10 hostages have been released by Hamas in exchange for 30 Palestinians released by Israel in the latest swap of persons. Altogether, roughly 100 hostages, including Israelis and foreign nationals, have been freed by Hamas and over 200 Palestinians by Israel. But the numbers are to be confirmed, including those still held by both sides, and it's uncertain if the deal can hold out. Meanwhile, the situation remains volatile as incidents of violence occurred in Israel and in the West Bank. On Thursday, China released a position paper calling for comprehensive ceasefire and an end to the fighting between Israel and Palestine. This has been a central message during China's rotating presidency in the United Nations Security Council, or UNSC, in November. What difference has that made on the ground? How can all relevant sides continue to work together to avoid what UN Secretary-General calls a never-ending cycle of death and destruction? I'm pleased to be joined from Changsha in southern China by Teng Jianqing, Director of Diplomatic Studies Center at Hunan Normal University and from North Carolina, the U.S., by Klaus Laris, Professor of History and International <coughs> Affairs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Gentlemen, welcome. So, um, Mr. Teng, let me go to you straight away. Are we halfway through the swap deal? Yeah, I think that this is actually a very important step to have uh, such a pause or ceasefire for the international community to give some mediation for this conflict. I think uh, the two sides should think about the final result, uh, not only for the humanitarian uh, protection, but also for the uh, mediation of international community in this regard. So I think uh, this is a very important step for the international community and uh, for the two sides. And it's important for the two sides to work to uh, extend this deal, I understand. Um, what China did, um, President Xi Jinping, as I mentioned, sent a congratulatory message to a United Nations special commemorated meeting in observance of the International Day of Solidarity with the Palestinian people. He, again, in that message, called for a more authoritative international conference for peace to be convened as soon as possible. Meanwhile, in the China position paper released on Thursday, China proposed five things, and um, Dr. Lares, I'm going to go to you. The five things includes implementing a comprehensive ceasefire and ending the fighting, protecting civilians, ensuring humanitarian assistance, enhancing diplomatic mediation, and seeking political settlement to help restore the two-state solutions. So um, what do you think of China's messages at this key point, Professor Lares? 
Yes, hello. Uh, on the whole, these are very sensible uh, points. Everyone wants civilians to be protected. Everyone wants more aid going into Gaza so that civilians can actually survive, get medical aid. And everyone wants a permanent solution. So the return to the two-state uh, solution for the Israel-Palestinian problem would be desirable. The problem is, of course, how to get there. The same applies regarding a ceasefire. We all, I think, want a ceasefire and peace in uh, Gaza and in the whole of the Middle East, of course. But the problem with a permanent ceasefire at this stage is that it means that Hamas would be victorious and the military strength of Hamas would still be there. And then, of course, the danger of yet another attack like uh, on October 7 would be uh, there as well. And I think that needs to be discussed. This is a real dilemma. If we have a permanent ceasefire, we may see Hamas continuing to attack Israel and no one wants that either. So how to overcome that? That, I think, is a big question of the day. China, of course, tried as much as it could to um, look deeper into the issue. Uh, China chaired a high-level meeting on the issue at the UNSC mm -hmm. Wednesday that's attended by some 20 foreign ministers of the region and beyond. It was the first open meeting since mid-November when China helped... Um, well, a, a unifying resolution was adopted on the issue for the first time for a long time. And the high-level meeting was also the first to feature foreign ministers from across the region and beyond. And many of them spoke in addition to council members together with Palestine and Israel. Mr. Tung, why is China so keen on getting as much done as possible and having these ministers express their voices? Yeah, China should be the best moderator in this uh, conflict because uh, China has been accepted by all sides at this moment uh, for the mediating. For example, the uh, recent visit by Arabic and uh, Islamic uh, cooperation organization uh, just gave a visit to Beijing. I think the first stop Beijing uh, just to show the interests of the uh, countries concerned. They would like to take China as a platform. Actually, uh, from early this year, we have witnessed the uh, effort made by China to promote the uh, peace. But this is very interesting because, sorry, sorry for yeah. interrupting, Mr. Tung, because some people are saying China mm -hmm. practically has no influence on the issue. It's the United States um, who, who supplies, all, supplies all the weapon, is the, the, the Jewish people, the Jewish influence. And it's China doesn't have historic or tr traditional influence on the issue. Um, why do you see China posi better positioned than many other players in being possibly facilitating uh, yeah, peace in the yeah, future? I, I think all the players in this game has have already realized the importance of China uh, because China's position, because of China's influence there, you know, uh, actually, in recent years, we have witnessed the increase of the influence in regional affairs. For example, uh, the moderation of the uh, normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran early this year. This is actually a good beginning for China to, you know, put more effort in uh, peace and stability uh, for the for the Middle East. Mr. Laras, what is your take? How do you see China potentially playing a positive role, if not an immediately effective role, in helping bring the situation under control? 
Uh, China has indeed become an important player in the Middle East. It is good to convene a conference of foreign ministers. It certainly can't do any harm. Regarding Israel, however, uh, there is very little influence of any foreign power on Israel. And the only power who has some sort of, and I think only a degree of influence, over Israel is the United States. The reason is because the U.S. finances a lot of the Israeli yeah. military. Well, exactly. So Maybe that's precisely why some some imagination needs to be had to the situation because the situation mm -hmm. is is not sustainable so far. This is very true. If China had some influence on Israel, I would say, yes, please use the Chinese influence to influence the Israelis to conduct a much a war which is much more observant of civilian casualties. And that is, of course, a problem so far, that it is a war which has led to 15,000 civilians which are dead now, and largely uh, women and, and children. That needs to be prevented. And I think anyone who could help to prevent that, to improve that situation, would be more than welcome indeed. It's very interesting because, um, you know, people question China's influence in, on the issue. But during China's presidency, um, as I said, a high-level meeting was called. Another historic, I would say, a very significant development was that the UN Security Council was able to adopt a resolution, Resolution 2712, mm -hmm. in uh, November. That was the first resolution adopted by the UNSC after the current round of the conflict broke out in uh, early October, and also the first one adopted on the issue mm -hmm. in in seven years, that resolution called for urgent and extended humanitarian pauses and corridors in Gaza for a sufficient number of days to allow full, rapid, safe and unhindered access for UN agencies and partners without condemning anyone. Mr. Tung, how do you look at mm -hmm. the way, the approach China is taking to the issue? Yeah, this is a very important step, as we all understand, that China uh, has no specific interest. China uh, not like to be the dominant player, uh, power, power in the Middle East. China's position is only uh, to establish uh, a fair and square, you know, platform for all the parties concerned to uh, have uh, political and diplomatic uh, negotiations for the uh, conflict. So I think uh, this is a core part for uh, China uh, to be uh, interested in and uh, China will continue such a momentum. Uh, we have no specific interest and also uh, we would not, not like to be uh, the uh, dominant player on one side or mm -hmm. on, on, on another. Yeah, well, it's very interesting, Mr. Laris. Let me give you the, the final chance of answering a question. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield said the pause during the high-level meeting that China chaired, the pause has provided a glimmer of hope. She said, we need a two-state solution as this is the only way to end the cycle of violence once and for all. Let Let's work together. How do you look at the, the attitude of the U.S. ambassador? Absolutely. I think this two-state uh, two uh, solution is a way forward, and we all know that. And I think in the last resort, it doesn't really matter whether it is China, whether it's the United States, whether it's Egypt or Qatar, who brings progress to the situation. And I think the dilemma which I mentioned before is that we have to uh, put a stop to the violence by Hamas. We have to stop, mm -hmm. uh, put a stop to that terror organization being able to attack anyone in the region, including Israel, of course. Thank and you. then we, have to. we go to a, a two-state solution. And we who have to. is 
it's instrumental behind that doesn't really matter. I think the solution Okay, we is have important. to leave it there. Thank you, Dr. Laris. I guess a lot of people will say the person behind it matters, but we don't have the time for it. <laughs> Mr. Tung, thank you very much, and Mr. Laris, as always. <laughs> I have to leave it thank there, as usual. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lishin in Beijing. You've got the point.